Our reading, it's on, isn't it? Yeah. Our reading this morning is, can be found on page 1212 in the Church Bibles, or follow it in the service sheet if you prefer. We're reading from Hebrews chapter 13, and we're reading verses 1 to 6. Hebrews 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by, doing so, by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who were ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Our Gospel reading is taken from John, chapter 8, verses 2 to 11, and you can follow in your church Bibles on page 1073. That's 1073, John 8. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gwen and Tracy. Let's just bow our heads for a short prayer. Lord, I pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would give us all ears to hear your voice, that you'd help me to speak and change our hearts and minds. For Jesus' sake, amen. In June 
1983, Carla Faye Tucker and her boyfriend Daniel Garrett broke into a home in Houston, Texas in order to case the house for a robbery. But high on drugs, they found a couple in the home and murdered them with a hammer and a pickaxe. Following their trial and conviction, each received the death sentence. Garrett died in prison in 1993, but Carla Faye Tucker remained on death row for many more years. And she might have disappeared from public view altogether, except that three months after her imprisonment, a puppet ministry team um, went to her cell block in the prison, and she went along out of boredom. She stole a Bible at the meeting, not realizing that they were free. And later that night, she accepted Jesus into her heart. And I did this, Carla wrote later, the full and overwhelming weight and reality of what I had done hit me. And I began crying that night for the first time in many years, and to this day, tears part of my life. The transformation in Carla's life was tangible. Christ was alive in her. For over 14 years, she was a powerful Christian presence in the prison, and her life was gripped by the horror of what she'd done. She said, I feel the pain of that night, and I feel the pain that goes on every day with others because of what I did that night. But her life was now filled with the radiant joy of experiencing Jesus' forgiveness. Carla was interviewed by Larry King on CNN News just a few weeks before her execution. And perplexed by her positive attitude, King asked, how come you're still up? You have to explain that to me a little more. It can't just be God. Carla Fay responded, it's called the joy of the Lord. She was calm and peaceful and she said that she hoped that the families of the victims would see her love and forgive her. Her only regret regret was that she couldn't continue a life of ministry within America's prison systems. On February the 3rd, 1998, she was executed by lethal injection. Her final words spoke of love and forgiveness. And I think her conversion is poignant and helpful because the power of her Christian life was so directly tied to the power of her sin. She didn't live a day without reflecting on her sin and on God's forgiveness. And as we think about this passage known as the woman caught in adultery, I think Carla's story helps us to better put ourselves in the shoes of this woman. Because when she was dragged before Jesus, she was as good as dead. She was clearly guilty as charged, no argument about that. The correct penalty for her sin, according to the law, was death by stoning. In other words, execution. The authorities were hell-bent on carrying out the punishment. I don't think she had the slightest hope that she would see another day. That's how serious her situation was. But before we look at the passage in a bit more detail, what's wrong with my working title to this passage, so well known as the woman caught adultery. Why should we be suspicious of this title? Any thoughts? Because the man was adultery Exactly. Where was the man? Where was the man? Adultery isn't something that you do solo. If one is guilty, both must be guilty. So where is the man? So let's just keep that question at the back as we look a little deeper into what's going on. 
So, uh, as, as the reader said on page 1073 in your Bibles um, or on the service sheet. But one of the, just before I get going, if you like, one of the first things you'll notice in the Bible is headed by some notes. And they tell us that this account doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts of John's Gospel and that in some manuscripts it's found in different places. So the question arises, is it really a true story about an event in Jesus' life or has it been made up? Well, the overwhelming view of biblical scholars is that this story is an original gospel. However, it's also the overwhelming view of scholars that the story is true, that it's authentic, and that it was circulating at a very early day and is therefore contemporary with the Gospels and accepted as divinely inspired scripture. The best reason for it not being included originally, there was a massive dilemma over whether to allow a passage which on the face of it had Jesus just letting off a woman for adultery to be included in, the Holy, in Holy Scripture. Which all goes to show that the grace of Jesus Christ can be as much a scandal to people within the church as it is to people outside. There are three kinds of people in this story, apart from Jesus. There's the woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. She's the accused. And I'm sure there are times in all of our lives when we have felt accused for one reason or another. Sometimes for things of which we knew. You remember how it felt to feel accused. Then there are the accusers. Those who entrapped the woman, as she surely was, and brought her to terms. We might not use that word, but if somebody encourages you to agree with them against a third person, when perhaps on our own we wouldn't have said anything at all, we complicit in the, in the accusing. Many years ago, in my student days, I was working part-time in a wine bar in London where the manager was convinced I told the manager and Alan was fired on the spot and I was put to work behind the bar instead. I knew he was guilty, but I had this nagging feeling that I'd done something wrong. And it wasn't until many, many years later, after I'd come to faith and reflected on the incident, that I realised motives were all wrong. I wanted to catch him because I wanted to ingratiate myself to the manager, and of course, my part-time job became more full-time. Stealing. How often have we played accuser and wrapped it all up in a cloak of righteousness? It's what the teachers are in bed with someone else's husband. We're told in verse 6 that they were using her as a trap, as a basis for accusing Jesus. She was just a pawn in their game. Her life was worth nothing to them. So that's the accused, the accusers, and then the third kind of people were the onlookers. Those who simply watched the action playing out in front of their eyes. And all of us play this part on occasions. We're onlookers as injustices are carried out through our television screens. We hear about war, famine, refugees, discrimination, the housing crisis, benefit sanctions. And we either feel helpless, anyway, no one else dared speak up for this woman, 
How many times have we avoided speaking up for others? How often have we played safe? Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? And what does Jesus do? We don't know. And if it was important for us to know, I think the gospel writer would have told us. But we all have our pet theories, and I have my theory. And my theory is that he was praying, seeking his father's will. And by writing on the ground, he was giving himself the space and the time to pray. We don't know, but what we do know, as the scripture says, he was full of divine wisdom. And I think this is a great little takeaway from the passage. When we're confronted or put under pressure, take a deep breath. Break away from the immediacy of the situation and ask your Heavenly Father how to respond. Only this week I responded too quickly to an email I received without giving it the thought and prayer that it deserved, so I know what I'm talking about. The woman's life hangs right now will determine whether she is still breathing a few minutes from now or whether she'll lie dead in the dirt, her head crushed and broken by the stone. And when we read what Jesus says, we know we are hearing divinely inspired scripture because it's not what any of us would have guessed. It's not what anyone anyone around them would have expected. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. His accusers had set a trap. They somehow knew owning her, and that was their trap. They could then accuse him of perverting God's given law, the God-given law that Moses brought. But although many of us remember this as the story when Jesus prevailed, and in doing so, he keeps the law of Moses, but he forces them to consider their own sinfulness. And it's important to realise here that under the law of Moses, 9 and 17.7, it was the accusers or the witnesses of the crime who were bound under law to throw the first stone at the accused. Others could join in later, but when continues writing in the sand. And you can imagine the tension. The invitation to stone the woman is offered. Their plan has failed. Jesus has upheld the law of Moses. But he's challenged them to consider their hypocrisy. None of the young men move. In Jesus' culture, they would have deferred to the older men to see what they would do first. And sure enough, verse 9 tells us that those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. Jesus was left standing there with the woman. And the woman, no doubt, hardly believed that she was still alive and breathing, and we're told that for the second time, Jesus straightens up. When we were praying over this passage in our staff team meeting on Monday, we were drawn to the emphasis that's put on Jesus straightening up twice. Firstly, just before he delivers the incredible challenge to the accusers in verse 7, and then again before he pronounces the woman uncondemned and free to go in verses 10 and 11. And it makes me doubly sure that he's been praying while writing on the ground. Because when Jesus straightens up, he delivers the very word of God, of mercy, of forgiveness, of repentance. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
Of course, we don't know what this woman did after this incident, but we know that one minute she was as good as dead, and the next Jesus had brought about her salvation. We hope and believe that her life was transformed as so many people whom Jesus came into contact with during his ministry. And the good news is that Jesus is still transforming lives today. He transformed Carla Faye Tucker's life. He's transformed lives of people sitting here this morning and he's still transforming lives today. Meeting today, and the reason why I hope I'll be here for many more is because I've seen so many lives touched and transformed by God's love, His mercy, and His forgiveness. Now, you may be one of those people sitting here this morning who feel in some way accused. And remember, your accuser may not just be your enemy, but a, or, even, or even the great accuser, Satan himself. That's what Satan means, the accuser. Some of you will find this a daily experience. Being in the dock, charged, perhaps for those of us who feel like that, the most important scripture is Romans 8, verse 1. Paul writing to the church in Rome says, There is now no condemnation for those in of a very serious offence, a capital offence. Neither do I condemn you. Or you may be here this morning and have realised, and if that's you... Forgiveness is immediately at hand. For you, remember the words of Jesus on the cross, who, speaking about his own persecutors that we've done that can't be redeemed through the blood and the love of Jesus. You don't have to live with guilt for a moment longer. Bring it to the communion this morning that we've been saved through faith. Or you may be here this morning as an onlooker to injustice, whether that's small-scale injustice, large-scale global injustice. And perhaps for those of us who feel like that, the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus calls us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. To be people who little by little, each day, each week, each month, resemble Jesus a little bit more as we extend love and grace and mercy and forgiveness to all those we come into contact with. So on this, our annual church meeting day, if we could take this account of the woman caught in adultery and all become a little less worldly and a little more like Jesus, then we'd be setting out on the right path for the next year ahead as we become more and more good news in the world. Amen.